The Bible lesson for today is written in the fifth chapter of Mark, beginning with verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was still by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet she grew worse instead of getting better. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had come out of him. Turned around, He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see all these people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came, fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. And while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha kumen, which means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. As they were complete, and they, at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and then told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning and to be jumping into this text that I just love so much. I peeked over at a couple of you and saw smiles on your face too. Maybe you have been in this story before and heard this incredible tale of Jesus healing. We have been in a series called Open Book and we've been specifically in a section of that series where we have been examining the miracle stories, the healing stories of Jesus. And we've come now to one that I just so dearly love. I love it for reasons that we'll talk about this morning. As Jesus is walking through the city and he's done enough miracles now, many of which you've heard about, that the people are pressing in around him and uh, he's got a little bit of fame, a little bit of attention going. And then we have these two characters come into Jesus' way. We have this leader of the synagogue and we have this woman who had a, a terrible problem, a problem of bleeding. 
And the course of Jesus' interactions with these two people, Mark is revealing, as he has been throughout his text so far, who this Jesus is. We're going to see more of a picture of the power that Jesus has that reveals this identity of Jesus that Mark is so interested in his readers seeing and noticing. Little by little by little, Mark has been revealing just the depth and the breadth of the power and authority of Jesus. He's not just a healer, not just a teacher. We heard two weeks ago he was the Lord of the Sabbath. And he exerts power over nature, power to calm the storm that only God could do. The people of that day were crystal clear on this point. Only God has the authority to control the weather, and Jesus calms the storm. And then today, we see Jesus have power and authority even over death. Mark is just pointing to and pointing to and pointing to, look, this person is so much more than just a person. This Jesus is God in human flesh. And the reason that Mark is doing this, the reason Mark is so interested in his readers, including you and me, understanding who Jesus is, is because of what Jesus does. He is pointing them to the identity of Jesus so that they can experience faith in this Jesus And they can experience in their lives what Jairus and Jairus' daughter and this woman experienced. And so this morning, I want to invite you into this story to situate yourself in the place of this man who comes and falls before Jesus, this woman who comes up behind Jesus and just touches his cloak, this little girl who is raised from death into life. Come before this healer, this Lord, this Savior. Let him invite you. Let him reveal himself to you, call you to faith, and show you his transformative power for your life. Uh, There's a couple of notes in your bulletin where we'll talk through some of what we learned from this story. I would encourage you to take those notes so that you can be thinking about this this week, that you can be talking about it with your family, with your friends, in your small group. Don't miss the opportunity to, to really let this story soak into your heart. That won't just happen this morning. That'll happen as you live this story out and reflect on this story this week. The first thing there in your notes is this, that the transformational power of Jesus is for all people for all kinds of people. I I want you to make sure that you notice in this story the different kinds of characters that we have, the different kinds of people from within the society that Jesus had stepped into that show up before him. We have the leader of the synagogue, a person of incredible fame and, and high repute in the community, and I should point out a person who's probably taking some risk in coming to Jesus and kneeling before Jesus and asking for healing. A couple weeks ago, if you were here, you heard a story of a healing that happened in a synagogue. And while Jesus was healing a man in the synagogue, other religious leaders who Jairus would have known started plotting to kill Jesus. Jesus wasn't especially popular with leaders of synagogues. And yet here is this man of incredible power and importance and reputation. This man with a social reputation that would have been harmed or injured by his coming and kneeling before this healer and in in the view of the religious leaders, this imposter. And yet Jairus comes and he kneels and asks, Jesus, please come and bring healing into my life. Please come and heal my daughter. On the flip side, you have this woman who's for 12 years experienced bleeding and has gone to doctor after doctor and has probably called out to her God, Yahweh, over and over again and has not yet been healed by people or by God. As a result of her condition, it's very likely that the very 
synagogue that Jairus leads, she wouldn't have been allowed into. In fact, if many of the people in the crowd that were crowding in around Jesus knew that this unclean woman had been bumping into them, they would have been outraged at the very fact that she had touched them. There's a reason that Jairus comes right before Jesus in front of everyone, and this woman tries to sneak up unnoticed behind Jesus because she suspects that just like everyone else in her life, this Savior, this healer, this teacher doesn't have time for her, doesn't have space for her, and she doesn't want to bother the teacher. She certainly wouldn't have wanted to interrupt the healing that Jairus was asking for, but she's so desperate that she just sneaks in a moment to come and touch the hem of his garment. We have in this story a person at the upper tier of society and a person on the outside at the bottom of the bottom of society, and both of them in their desperation come to Jesus and discover this transformational power. The transformational power of Jesus is for all of us. And so I want to point out a couple things and invite you into the story to reflect. Are you Jairus this morning? Or maybe are you the woman with the condition of bleeding this morning? The first thing is this, you are not above needing healing from Jesus. Jairus would have all the reasons in the world to think, well, Jesus and his healing and his ministry, that's fine for them, but it's not for me. Jairus would have had his act together. He not only knew the law, but he was involved as a leader. He would have been a teacher. He would have been carefully following the things God was commanding him to do. He would have been kind of religiously upright, self-sufficient, For him to come and fall before Jesus is an act of incredible, incredible humility. I already mentioned he he would have been risking his reputation in front of other religious leaders, many of whom saw Jesus as a fraud, an imposter, and a dangerous, dangerous heretic. And yet Jairus is not above coming and falling before this Jesus. But that Jairus temptation is there for so many of us. It's especially there for those of us who maybe in other parts of life feel like in order to maintain success or image, we can't be vulnerable or admit failure. We are the people who help other people. We don't need help. Any of you ever feel that way? I got a chance this last week to, uh, to be at a worship conference. And I was there at a worship conference as a minister of worship and, and teaching. I was there leading a team of people that work here at the church in leadership and in, in worship. And we were in the midst of a worship service. And the, the gospel was presented in such a way that the spirit was moving in my life. And I felt so broken open. And I was trying as discreetly as possible to wipe away the tears from my face. Lest the team sitting next to me see someone who is supposed to be the leader and have it together is crying, right? And I was aware of the hypocrisy and the stupidity of my own thoughts in that moment. And I got to share openly with the team later about how how God had worked through that sermon to kind of break some things in me. But that's there for me too. I, I feel that. I feel that temptation to be in the gyrus boat and sometimes to think I'm above needing Jesus' transformative power. That I'm supposed to help other people get some of Jesus. But I I'm good, right? And maybe some of you in this morning are in that seat. And I want you to see that Jairus, this one who has it together, comes and falls in front of a huge crowd before the knees, or on his knees before Jesus. And in total humility and vulnerability calls out for help. And those of us who feel like in our work or our families or our friendships or maybe in our religiousness, we have to always be upright, always have it together. We need the gift 
of falling on our knees before Jesus and saying, I don't have it all together. I don't know it all. I'm not graduated yet from the Jesus school. I need the transforming power of Jesus in my life. And for some of us, it's religious reasons we, we turn into gyres. Others maybe never come to Jesus in the first place because that's for weak people. That's for stupid people. I know better. I can do better on my own. And I, I heard a story of a, a man named Francis Collins. Francis Collins uh, led in the 90s the, the, product, the program to map the human genome to put together DNA sequencing and understand it. He is one of the leading scientists in America. Francis Collins grew up in a home raised by two atheist hippie parents on a hippie commune and as about as far away from Jesus as one could get, you know. And he went off to school and he learned all kinds of things about empiricism and science. And as he tells his story, you know, he thought to himself that he had no need of Jesus. He was doing an internship in a hospital when there was an older woman who was nearing the end of her life. And her faith was giving her this well of courage because she had fallen on her knees before Jesus. And so she had the supply of Jesus' transformative power in her life. And in an awesome moment of boldness on her part, she said, Doctor, where are you at with faith? What do you turn to when it's all too much for you? And for whatever reason for Francis, he realized in that moment that he had felt like he was above this Jesus stuff. He had already said no to a God that he had not yet really investigated. And in his version of the story, as he tells it, he says, I'm supposed to be a scientist and I hadn't investigated the evidence yet. And so he starts to investigate the evidence. He walks down the street and this great man of science asks the neighbor down the street who's a pastor to help him understand a little bit more about religion. And Francis Collins, over time, comes not only to believe that there is a God, but comes to believe that God's son is named Jesus and that Jesus is his greatest hope and salvation. And a man just like Jairus, who was surrounded by a community, many of whom loved Jesus, but many of whom would see a man of science falling on his knees before Jesus as an act of weakness or attrition or stupidity. Francis Collins not only comes to know Jesus, begins to write books and share his faith with others, he is a man who has discovered the joy of knowing that he is not above needing Jesus, but comes and falls on his knees before the Savior and invites others to do so. So maybe this morning you're kind of gyrus. And because you've got to be upright and religious and good, it's too scary to be vulnerable before Jesus and cry out to him. Or perhaps you got dragged here this morning or came because you felt like you were supposed to, but you've never really bought into all that Jesus stuff. Let me invite you to, to believe this truth that you are not above needing the healing, transformative power of Jesus in your life. This morning, Fall to your knees and cry out to the Savior, to the healer, who can transform you in heart, in soul, in mind, and in body. But maybe you're not Jairus this morning. Maybe you're feeling a little more connected to the woman in the story. The woman who was seen by her community as, as likely unclean. The woman who wasn't comfortable or, or welcome in religious spaces. The woman who doesn't believe that she's above Jesus, she doesn't believe she hardly warrants his attention. And so she just comes and gets a couple fingers onto his cloak. Maybe this morning you were tempted to believe you're beneath receiving the healing power of Jesus. But we see in the story that that's not true, that you are not beneath receiving healing from Jesus. 
The woman comes and she touches the cloak and she can feel in herself that she is healed almost instantly. And Jesus feels in himself, hey, power went out from me. I just did something awesome and I didn't mean to. That's how cool Jesus is. And, and then in a moment that had to terrify this woman, Jesus stops and says, who touched me? <laughs> if you're the woman and you touch him and you get healed and you're already like, oh, I can't believe that actually worked. And then he's like, who touched me? I'd have been like, uh, that guy. And then, you know. Uh, run uh, far away. But Jesus isn't saying who touched me because he's angry. He's saying who touched me because he's offering a moment for this woman who believes she's beneath the healing power of Jesus to come in front of the whole crowd and be called daughter. Be invited not only into healing of her body, but healing of her soul and her identity to be reintegrated into the community that because of her affliction had put her on the outside. Jesus doesn't just heal her body. He heals the soul, the identity, the integrity, the worth of this woman. And this is too what Jesus offers to those who might believe if I walk in the doors of a church, either I'll catch on fire or the church will. right? And we hear stories like this of people who, even on accident, wander their way into a church, never believing that this Jesus thing could be for them, not because it's for the stupid or the weak, but because I'm too stupid and I'm too weak, and it couldn't be for me. Or maybe I've done too much, and my shame is way bigger than what Jesus could handle, or the brokenness inside of me and my character and my mind is way bigger than what the healer could handle. I heard a story of a woman who just needed somewhere to be, needed somewhere to rest, and so she wandered her way into the back of an Anglican church, sat in the back row, didn't know what to expect, didn't know anything about Jesus, and it wasn't a sermon that she heard or someone sitting down and saying, here's what you need to understand and know about Jesus, and here's what you need to do to respond. She was sitting in the back row when they did procession, which if you've been to a more traditional service, maybe you've seen this, and the pastor and those serving in the service walk in with the cross held high as the song is played. And as this cross that she doesn't fully understand and these people in you know, long robes that she's not really making sense of, as they walk by her, Holy Spirit breaks something inside of her. And without even understanding what she is responding to or what is happening, she gives her heart to Jesus and just weeping in the back row, takes in the service and becomes a Christian before she really even understands what becoming a Christian means. This woman who didn't think she belonged, who wasn't sure why she was there, who didn't even know what all of it meant, and yet God welcomed her in and invited her into faith, invited her too to come and kneel before Jesus. I love in this story that Mark goes out of his way to mention how many years the woman has been afflicted and how many years the little girl has been living. Did you notice that? 12-year-old little girl, 12 years that the woman has been bleeding. It's I think what Mark's doing is cueing us that these women, even though one is in a high-status family and one is on the outside of the outside, these women are level ground before their Savior Jesus. Such a beautiful picture that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And that that restoration, we all need it. You're not above it. And God is offering it to all of us. You're not beneath it. So if you're here this morning wondering if you've done too much, or if you're not good enough, if God could ever possibly love you, it's not just me telling you, yes, he can, yes, he will, yes, he does. It's scripture. It's God himself. Jesus is inviting you to be this woman, 
this morning to reach out, experience his healing touch, and fall before him in faith. This is critical. We have to see also in the story how consistent it is that Jesus points out that it is the faith of those who come and fall before him that transform them or that unleash this power of forgiveness and restoration and healing in their lives. It is not because they've been good enough. He doesn't quickly run through the database that he has in his head of Jairus' whole life and go, yep, you qualify, be healed. No, it's not what happens, is it? No, in the story what we see is this. The transformation power comes in response to faith. It comes in response to faith. Jesus over and over and over again says this. Let's look at just a couple of examples. When he responds to the woman that's come for healing in her body from this condition of bleeding, he said to her, daughter, don't miss that word. He says to this woman on the outside, daughter, that's that restoration of her identity. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. When the people come as he's wrapping up healing the woman with a bleeding condition, and people come and they say, Jairus, quit bothering the teacher. Your daughter's already dead. I'm sure they said it nicer than that. But um, they come and they say, hey, don't, don't bother her anymore, him anymore. Look what Jesus says. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Just believe. The letters of the New Testament go on to make this so, so clear. It is in response to faith that the power of Jesus to forgive our sins, that the power of Jesus to restore us and sanctify us and make us more like him, that comes in response to faith. The gift of the Holy Spirit that comes and fills us with love and God's peace and can break the power of sin in our lives, that comes in response to faith. We believe in the gift of grace and God's forgiveness and healing and salvation by faith alone. And it is all over the pages of Scripture. We see it so clearly in this story. And so this morning, if you walked in here as Jairus, maybe above Jesus, or you walked in here as the woman, believing you're beneath Jesus, this is how we respond. This isn't just how we respond the first time we put faith in Jesus. It's how we respond every single day when we call out in faith to Jesus, again, Lord, heal me again. Heal my heart again. Heal my mind again. Forgive my sins again. Take my shame again. Restore my identity again. Rebuild who I am and make me who you meant me to be again. It all comes in faith. These things are gifts from our God that come in response to faith. And so in faith, I invite you this morning to cry out to this healer, to this savior for the restoration of body, mind, and soul, trusting that what he did in the woman, what he did in the child, he can do for us, that in faith he can respond with healing and salvation and wholeness. The last thing I want to point out is this. This is so critical because you can get that faith thing twisted and be like, all right, if I have faith, I get what I want. That's not true. Because what we see is that the transformational power comes right on time. And God's timing is often so different than our timing. Sometimes I think it's because the thing we're crying out about isn't really the thing we most need. It's what we can see, but God sees so much more than we can see. And so in God's timing, he brings the transformational power of Jesus into our lives right on time, even when it's not the timing we would prefer. We see this after years of seeking, This woman who would have called out to God, she didn't call out to Jesus because Jesus hadn't started his public ministry, but she would have called out to God. She had gone to doctors, and for 12 years, she had experienced this suffering. There had to be days where she wondered, God, why isn't this changing? Why isn't this being taken away from me? 
Paul in the New Testament talks about this. He says he has a thorn in his side that for whatever reason, God hasn't chosen to remove that thing yet. But he keeps calling out in faith. And then we see in the second piece of what's up there that even after death, the transformational power of Jesus comes, the really, really good news that sometimes we will see victory in this life. Victory over an area of sin in our lives. Victory over something maybe in our emotional or mental health. Sometimes we see that in this life. Sometimes we see victory when we call out to God for healing in our bodies. But we always, always have a guarantee that God will forgive our sins in this life. And we have a guarantee that for those who have placed their faith in Jesus, full and complete healing and restoration comes in eternity. What, what Mark reveals in this story that would have been stunning to his first readers is that Jesus has power even over death. That that saving power of Jesus is right on time and sometimes on time means in eternity. It means even after death. And in the case of this little girl, he walks into a room and they said, teacher, she's dead. And Jesus is like, you don't know whose presence you're in. Little girl, get up. And so when we stand and look at our own suffering in body, mind, or spirit, the gift we have, the, the hope we have is the hope of resurrection. There will come a day where all of us that put our faith in Jesus will hear those beautiful, sweet words. Little girl, little boy, get up. There's going to come a day where the people we love who've gone on before us are going to hear those sweet words. Little boy, little girl, get up. Jesus' healing power comes right on time. It's not stopped even by death. And so we cry out. We fall before the healer on our knees because we're not above this healing. We're not beneath this healing of our hearts, of our sins, of our shame, of our bodies. We cry out in faith because it is by faith that Jesus responds to our needs. And we believe that the healer will provide right on time. Today, your sins can be forgiven. Today, you can cry out for God to restore so much more in your life, trusting that it will come on God's time. And we all look forward to that day when all things will be made new. When we hear those words, get up. And all things that sin has broken are made right. This is the hope we have through the healing power of Jesus. So let me encourage you as we respond in worship, as we come to Jesus' table, and he offers to you this grace, this forgiveness, this gift of the Spirit that can fill you with love and hope and joy and bring restoration. Don't miss this opportunity. Fall to your knees before this Jesus and respond in life-giving faith. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good, it's hard to even put it into words. You offer us forgiveness of our sin. You offer us the taking away of the punishment that is due to us. You offer us rehumanization, putting us back together and making us whole again. And so this morning, God, we call out for all that. That you would heal us in body, mind, and spirit. But also, Lord, give us the faith to trust your timing, to take what you give one day at a time and to continue our walk of faith with you as you continue to restore us, leading us to that sweet day when you will make all things new. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.